0: Let us pray together. Lord God, we come again once to You this morning and we ask that you, would, that you would use this time for Your glory. That our lives would reflect Your magnificence even in these moments as we listen to what Your Word has to say to us. As we examine the Scripture, as we explain the Scripture, as we listen to the Scripture and as we consider ways that that we can apply this to our lives, I I pray that each one of us would be a small reflection of your glory, that, that your goodness, that your greatness, that your holiness would be reflected in our lives as our lives are changed, as we become more like Jesus, and we're conformed into the image of our Savior. So please teach us now. Please mold us and use us for your glory and the magnification of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well it was in fifteen twenty one Martin Luther was summoned to the, the town of Worms, where his doctrine was examined. He was declared a heretic, and his writings were banned in, in May of that year he was called uh, the, uh, the Emperor called for his rest and it was at that time that his friends Luther's friends and his supporters took him away they They captured him they took him away to Wartburg Castle, and there he was, disqui- he was disguised as uh, Junker Jörg, which means uh, Knight George. And for a year, uh, he went about uh, under a, a different identity. He grew a beard, he disguised himself, and uh, there he hid in the castle as one of their knights. It was during this period of exile, so to speak, uh, that the Lord used this time to, to sequester Martin Luther. It was a time for lots of reading a time for lots of writing. Much of the writing that we have for Martin Luther came from those months. Probably one of the greatest achievements of that period was his translation of the the, uh, German German Bible from the New Testament. It had been translated from the Latin before, but this is the first time that the Bible had been translated from the original languages of Greek and Hebrew. And so the entire New Testament was translated during those few months that uh, Luther was in that castle. It was the next year, 500 years ago, in fact, 500 years ago to this month, September 1522, that Martin Luther published the German translation of the New Testament. And he brought God's Word to the people in their own language. It was one of the great keys during the Reformation that, that helped the people in the German church to grow. Because for the first time, many of them had, had a copy of their own, or their, Bibles, their, their, their churches had a copy of the Bible of, of their own. And the people were able to read the Scripture not just in Latin, not just in Greek or Hebrew, but in their own language. A decade later, he would remark regarding his pursuit of reading the pages of the Bible. Martin Luther said this. He said, for some years now, I've read through the Bible twice every year. If you picture the Bible to be a mighty tree and every word a little branch, I have shaken every one of these branches because I wanted to know what it was and what it meant. Dr. Richard Richard Booker writes regarding Luther's love for the Bible. He He said, throughout his adult life, even though he read it so many times, Martin Luther continued to have an incredible love for the Bible. Never content with previous readings and insights, always wanting to better understand. He continues and says, one of Luther's most strongly held convictions was that in the Bible, God had the answers to His problems. The Bible for him was the voice of the living God who spoke directly to the needs of His people. Luther was sure that if he only studied, read, and meditated enough, the answer would break through. And again, Martin Luther wrote, the Bible is the proper book for men. There, the truth is distinguished from error far more clearly than anywhere else, and one finds something new in it every day for 28 years since i became a doctor i have now constantly read and preached the bible he continued, and yet i have not and and so he devoted himself to making it available for the common man to read in our church we seek to reflect the magnificence of our god by knowing christ and making him known Within this mission that has Christ at its core, we seek to fulfill that mission by exalting our God, by sharing the good news with the lost, and, and building the body of Christ. The Bible has always played a central role in the beliefs and the ministry of, of our church. Uh, we encourage people uh, to read this holy book. And, and understand that we're not just called to read the Bible. Uh, we're called to be students of the Bible, to study it, to, to, to tear it apart like we would a, um, a, a great feast. To, to study every word, to, to, to know what it means. We're called to memorize the Scriptures, to hide God's Word in our hearts so that when we're walking down the road, when we're going to bed, when we're getting up in the morning, we have God's Word there to meditate on. And, and we are called to meditate on God's Word. And we could spend a few weeks just talking about what that word meditate means and how we can do so with God's Word. What an incredible privilege that we have to know God's Word. And every single one here, every single person here has the ability to approach God's Word in these ways. Of course, some of us have greater skill and abilities than others, but each one of us should be striving with all of our heart to mastering these abilities so that we can better witness the glorious beauty that we find in this book. I'd like to spend our time today considering just that first one, to what it means to read God's word and how that benefits us. And so, if you would turn with me in your Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. If you're looking for Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book of the Bible. It's the fifth book in the Pentateuch. And so you'll Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We'll be in chapter 17, verses 18 through 20. In Psalm 19, the psalmist said that the law of the Lord is perfect. Is that what you just read, Brian? The law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 119.97 declares, oh, how I love your law. We don't usually think of God's Word in those, those terms, do we? The law of God. We don't usually think of in terms of loving the law. Oftentimes we think of Leviticus numbers and we think, oh, I need to get on to Joshua. Let's, let's keep a move on, right? But, but the psalmist said, oh, I love the law. Our minds turn to Pharisees when we think of the law who counted their footsteps on the Sabbath. And who, who saw mint growing on their front pathway. And they would pick it and then they would tithe it because they wanted to be so precise in, in tithing everything that they had. But the Bible presents God's law as a good thing. A beautiful gift from God that should draw us closer to Him even today during the church age. And so today we look at one of those laws so that we can discover four reasons why God wants us to read our Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, is actually a legal code. It's a specific legal code in the book of Deuteronomy that was specifically written for the kings of Israel that would, run, that would one day rule over them. This would be several hundred years after Moses wrote, those, wrote this, but, but God had planned for Israel to have a kings. Many people think that God never intended for Israel to have a king. Uh, they look at Saul and the people who, who asked for Saul to be their king, and they saw how badly they turned out and so a lot of people assume that well god didn 't want there to be a king of israel, but but actually, in the law of Moses, um, there, there was provision for it. God knew that ultimately Saul was not going to be a man that was after his own heart, but the problem was not that Israel wanted a king or that Israel would have a king. The problem was that, that they, they didn't wait for God's timing. They waited a few hundred years to the period of Judges, but then they saw all the other nations around them and said, we want a king because we want to be like everybody else. And God said, I want to bring a king in my timing who's going to be the right man for the job. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we find that God had already allowed for the provision that they would one day have a king. And here's what He instructed to that king. Let's just read through the, the law code that we have here. In verse 14, the decree begins. It says, "...when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are all around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses." Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And so, in these first few verses of this law code, in these first few verses, God provides some safeguards for the king. He provides some safeguards that would keep him from becoming proud. You see, God wanted the kings of Israel to understand who they were. He wanted them to remember who they were not only in relationship to all the people of the land, but He also wanted the king to remember who he was, who the king was, in relation to God Himself. He needed to stay humble. But then in verse 18, He gives a particular command that we're interested in today. Moses continues and he says, "...and when He sits on the throne of His kingdom..." he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. And so one of the first duties, one of the first things that a king of Israel was called to do was to sit down he was commanded to make a copy of the law. Perhaps it was just the book of Deuteronomy. It might have been all five of the first books of the Bible, so the books of Moses. But whether it was just Deuteronomy or all five books, by doing so, the king would have a personal copy of his own, of God's word. A personal copy that he would have to read. And if you're reading your Bible on, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry i'm skipping ahead there he would have his own personal copy of god's word to guide him and as he ruled the people it would be there for his instruction now now we live several hundred years after the invention of the printing press and so copies of the bible abound Uh, if you have a bible in your hand i want you to put your finger in deuteronomy and and hold up your your copy of the of the holy bible just just hold it up if you're if you're using an electronic device your phone go and hold that up too Consider the unique privilege that you're witnessing right now, or that you just witnessed since everybody put their Bibles down already. Simon says, put your Bibles down, okay? <laughs> just, just think about the unique privilege that, that you just witnessed just now. Throughout most of history, scribes and scholars would be blessed to see so many copies of the Bible that we just saw in those few moments. They would be blessed to see that many copies of the Bible in their entire lifetime. Probably wouldn't have happened. Many synagogues and churches up until the invention of the printing press, they would sacrifice and sell land so that they could get a copy of the Bible for themselves. One copy for their entire congregation to use or for their leaders to read from. They would sacrifice building projects just so their congregation would have a Bible to read and have read to them. Most people didn't even know how to read. And so they had to rely on someone else to read it for them. And so for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, uh, you, you had to learn Latin if you even wanted to understand what was being read to you. And here we are, each one of us holding a copy of the Bible in our own hands. You might even have multiple translations on your device right in front of you. Most of us probably have multiple copies at home. You might even have multiple translations on your bookshelf. And so in order for the king to rule well, he was required to carefully make a copy for himself. And a scribe would sit down with him and make sure he did it right. But once he made that copy, what was he supposed to do with it? Read it. And and I heard the second part of that, what was that? Daily. Daily. Every day. Read it all the days of his life. Now, I I just want to logically think through that for a moment if God thought that it was so important for this one man who was privileged to have the priests guide him in making a copy of the law, if God thought that it was important for him to read from it every day, don't you think that that same God who has given you the privilege of having your own very copy of this book wants you to read it all the days of your life? You have been incredibly blessed to live in a time when reading is what every child is taught. I think Martin Luther was the one who said one of the greatest sins a father can commit against his son is to not teach him how to read. And here we are 500 years later and, and the literacy rate in our country and our world is astounding. You've been incredibly blessed to live in that time. Some, some of you don't read as well as others and, and that's okay. Some of you have learning disabilities and that's Okay. Some of you really struggle. And that's okay. As long as you struggle. As long as you keep on struggling through it. Don't, don't just give up and say, well, I can't read or my words get mixed up, so I'm not going to read the Bible. Struggle through it. Work through it. Because if you can read and God has put a copy of this book in your hands, then you've been given the same honor, God has given to you the same privilege that he required of the ancient kings of Israel. For thousands of years, the common people couldn't fathom this kind of privilege that you have. Many of them like, likely never even saw a Bible. Or if they did, it was just something that stood on the podium up in the front of their church. Maybe it was, it was brought out once a week and that was the only time they ever saw it. What a blessing it is that you can carry yours with you. You can open it wherever you want to. So if my reasoning's correct that you have been given as much, as much as or more privilege and opportunity than those ancient kings, then it stands to reason that you may receive the same benefits that were promised to them if you would only devote yourself to reading your Bible. So let's briefly examine these four reasons that are laid out for us in that, in that passage in Deuteronomy. Four reasons that are laid out for us that we should read the Bible. Benefits for you if you follow the same instruction that the kings followed those thousands of years ago. The first reason is found in the second half of verse 19. Let's reread the first half. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. Here's why. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. You know, since... um. Since my family bought a house in Colorado back in 2002, uh, my family has enjoyed keeping chickens. Uh, it seems like everywhere we've moved, uh, we've had chickens. Uh, in Colorado, I think we had how many? Hun? 50, 60? A lot of chickens, a lot of eggs. Uh, and they're fun. We've enjoyed them. Uh, I have my own pet right now that sits on my arm and it just perches there. Uh, we have chickens. They're, they're kind of fun, and the, those eggs are oh so good. Um, when we were in Texas, we had chickens in our, in our subdivision, Um, We we lived in a cul-de-sac, and so our backyard had eight houses that were were, um, around us on all different sides, seven houses uh, with seven different neighbors. And so in order to have chickens in Fort Worth, we legally had to have the chicken coop a certain amount of distance from the nearest house. And so there was one spot in the back of our yard that was equally distant from every single house in our cul-de-sac, and so we were able to legally have chickens there in, in Fort Worth. And so when we moved to Welton with a population of 150, uh, we thought to ourselves, shouldn't be any problem. And so we bought a dozen chickens and didn't think anything about breaking any laws. And then uh, we posted something on Facebook and and a a friend of ours said, oh, we're not supposed to have chickens in Welton, but I won't say anything. So we looked up on the Welton City codes. We went through the process of applying for permission. We submitted the proper building plan to to build the uh, appropriate enclosure. Uh, There's a lot more law codes in Welton than there ever were in Fort Worth. You know, we all have law codes that we have to deal with, right? Whether it's chickens, building codes, or just how you walk across the street. There are different law codes for all things, and, and typically those are there for our benefit. They're there for... Uh, for us to know how to live and how to live w- with our neighbors in a way that is loving and kind. And God's law is the same. Only God's law is, has words of life. When we disobey His law, the one that we offend isn't just the local government, isn't just our neighbor, but it's the Almighty God who created us, not just the one who rules If the city of Welton chose to enforce the law because we didn't have a permit, I I couldn't use the excuse and say, oh, I I didn't know. Because I I did then. And in the same way, we're without excuse. If we come to a command in God's law and say, oh, I didn't know. Because you have a copy of God's law. I can't use the excuse if I disobey God because I, I failed to read it. Especially when I have a copy of His law and I know how to read Reading the Bible teaches us to fear to fear the Lord. This is when it talks about fearing the Lord, understand this is a reverential awe of the living God. It is awesome respect that comes when we realize that our very breath is held in his hands and he graciously gives to us life every day out of his great love for us. And so the fear of the Lord, we're told it leads to obedience. It leads to keeping the law. It leads to doing what He commands, not just because He said so, but because we love Him and because we, we know that He desires what is best for us as people. There's a second reason that the Bible, uh, we're, we're commanded to read the Bible and Scripture. A second reason that the king was commanded to read. Reading the Bible brings about Humility. Deuteronomy goes on and says, so that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. You see, God would choose a servant to lead his people. He would be, as it calls in his passage, a, a brother like them. wasn't so supposed to be a, a foreigner that would rule over them. And so, uh, he would raise up a person from among them. And the king was to be respected. He was to be honored according to the law. But just because... He was chosen to this special task in this special, special position. He was never to forget that He also was just one of God's people. He was one of them. Just like them. It was Mark Twain who said, kings are mostly rapscallions. And in history, kings have certainly elevated themselves to positions of enormous height. But this law was unusual. Especially in the ancient days. A law like this that... that called the king to this was very unusual. The kings of Egypt, they were treated like, like the gods themselves. In fact, they were considered to be the human manifestation of the gods. Pharaoh was thought to be Ra, the sun god who was living here on earth. They were granted every privilege. They were granted every luxury. But, but not so in Israel. You see, the king would have a palace... He would have special privileges, but he was always reminded that he was just another guy. He would live in a palace, be provided special provisions, he would be given special protection, but the king was never to forget that he was a brother to his people. He was just a guy. While we're on that topic, let me shift gears just a little bit here. Over this summer, our leadership team and our recommendation committee has been considering new elders and deacons for our church. Uh, we'll be presenting those names to you next month for your consideration, and then we'll have a meeting next in October. Uh, but I want you to remember that, that our leaders, whether they're pastors, elders, deacons, they're not kings by no means. And our leaders have been given a great privilege to lead the congregation alongside one another. Together we shepherd the flock. Some of us are paid staff. But, but I want us to remember And if you're one of those that's being considered as a deacon or an elder, I want you to remember that we're not the guy. We're just another guy. You see, there's a lot of churches that elevate their pastors, they elevate their their elders and deacons to these grandiose positions. and, And they hold their leaders up where those men just can't meet realistic expectations. Sometimes churches treat their pastors like he's some sort of royalty or that he has some direct line to God. We don't. I'm just a guy. Our elders, our deacons, they're, they're brothers among you. Just as I am. Each of the men we've asked to prayerfully consider becoming a deacon or an elder have to remember, not only now as they consider it, but as they also lead, that we're just ordinary men that are serving God's people. Jesus is the One that we worship. Jesus is the King. And just as the king needed to remember his position among God's people, so we also need to remember who it is that is worthy. And just like the king of Israel, God has called all of us to humility. And so the king was to recognize his proper place among the people. Again, Martin Luther, he wrote, he said, the Holy Scriptures require a humble reader who shows reverence and fear toward the Word of God and constantly says, teach me. Teach me. Teach me. The Spirit resists the proud. As we come to God's Word, just like those ancient kings, not only do we have the privilege of reading the Bible because it leads us to obedience, but we read the Bible because it it teaches us about humility. But there's a third reason that we're called to read the Bible, that the king was called to read the Bible, Reading the Bible keeps our paths straight. A few years ago, I was heading home on Highway 20. It was the beginning of winter. It was dark. A snowstorm had descended on me as I was approaching Dubuque. And I had my brand new phone. And I was trying out my maps and receiving my first lesson and in, in listening to my phone. Because it usually knows better than I do about where I'm supposed to go. And I was listening to the guidance features, and it told me that there was a shorter route if I turned south before getting to Dubuque. And my phone was right. I've taken that road many times. But what it didn't tell me that day was that that shorter route was lined with, with um, a windy road. It was a heavily forested area. It was hilly. The snow plows hadn't put a priority on it, and there was no light. And what would have saved me perhaps 10 miles almost caused several accidents and cost me at least an extra 40 minutes getting home. You see, God's Word, it keeps us on a straight path. If we would only recognize the great privilege that we have to daily read it. The beautiful passage in the New Testament that many of you are familiar with. I love 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. There, Paul wrote to his young disciple at the end of Paul's life, he said, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I want you to just listen and think about that for a moment. What's the first part say? All Scripture. You mean Song of Solomon too? We're not supposed to read that. That's, you know, Leviticus, genealogies, all Scripture. Timothy, He says, Timothy... All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And so I want you to understand that as you read your Bibles, whether you're doing the, 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 what you, the abridged track that we're going to do, or if you're going to read the whole Bible in seven months, or if you're reading the Bible through this year, or, or whatever Bible reading program you're on, all Scripture is profitable for you. You all play the market once in a while, make investments at a bank, you have jobs, you all think about whether you want a job or not. It only pays this much, but this job over here pays this. We, we weigh out those considerations, right? You think every day, is this profitable? You go to the gas station and you look at food and you say, is this going to be profitable for me? Maybe not, but I still want it. And so it's profitable for my desires. Every, every purchase you make, you're thinking whether something's profitable or not. And God's Word promises to you that when you read the Bible, no matter what portion of the Bible it is, that it has profit for you. It is good. It is beneficial. But, but he says there's four things that it's profitable for. There's specifically four areas that God's Word is profitable for. He says teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. We've talked about this passage before, but I, th- I think it's, it's prudent that we, we review this. Uh, what, what is teaching? It's when God says this is what you do. Teaching is when you open God's Word and it says this is the path that you take. And and so you see this path here and God's Word clearly says this is how you live. That's the teaching part. And God's Word is profitable for teaching. For understanding what God wants for you. Understand that God made you. He built you. He designed you. And so we want to listen to Him. Because He knows what's best for you. And He didn't just give us all these laws. Sorry, I'm I'm probably wreaking havoc on our online crowd today. Hey guys. And so, uh, He doesn't give us God's Word just to make your life miserable. He gave you God's Word because He knows how He made you and He knows what's best for you. I have a car. I change the oil once in a while. But I said, you know what? Eh." They say to change it every three months, six months, every 3,000 miles. I'm not sure what it is now. But I'm going to try to make it 15,000 because I know better. I don't want to change my oil. It's, It's expensive, Right? Does the person that made the car understand how the car is made and, and, and did they write that law code for a reason? They gave me a manual and said, this is what you need to do. In the same way, God knows how He made us and He knows what's best for you. And so He gave us teaching so that we know what's best for our lives. But then there's a second thing. What, what it says is profitable for teaching and for reproof or rebuke. What's that? I'm walking down the path. Oh, what's this over here? And so I get off the path. And I'm not in the teaching. And now all of a sudden, I've, I've gone down a way that I shouldn't go. And so God's Word is profitable for saying, hey, this is wrong. You're, you're not where you're supposed to be. And this isn't good for you. God has better plans for you. And so reproof brings, says hey, you're on the wrong path. You're not on the path at all. And so then there's a third thing that God's Word is profitable for. Correction. Want to guess what that does? Let's get back on the path. It's profitable for telling me what the path is. It's profitable for telling me when I'm off the path. But correction is saying, hey, this is how you're going to get back. Cindy talked about that this morning. When we sin, we're called to confess our sins. and, And come back onto that path. Because God wants that relationship for us restored. And so, correction. Reproof. Excuse me, teaching, correct, reproof, correction. And, and then there's a fourth thing. What, what's the fourth thing that God's Word is profitable for? Training in righteousness. And, and I think training in righteousness is Paul's way of saying, Timothy, And here's how you stay on the track. Here's how you stay on this path. Here's how, here's how you grow in your walk and, and how you're trained to do what God wants you to do. And so God's Word, understand, is profitable for you. It's not just something that, that we're challenging you to read because it, it's some... Some legalistic duty that you have to fulfill. We're not not challenging you to read God's word this year or this next several months just because we want to, you know, you look better than your neighbors. It's profitable. And so God understood that not only for the king of Israel, but he understands that for all of us. And so he's given us these commands because he knows how good God's word is for us. God's word. Brings about humility. God's Word keeps our paths straight. Finally, there's a fourth reason. We read the Bible because it protects God's servant. Look at what he said to the king. Reading the Bible protects God's servant. Verse 20 concludes, "...so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." The reading of God's Word would guide the king in the principles that, he would lead, that would lead to a successful reign and that would lead to, to fill his years with wisdom and joy and would lead to a reign that would last many years and a dynasty that God would bless. This wasn't a blanket statement that God would never allow trials or that reigning over Israel would be easy. But I want us to understand that in the same way, God will bless your life. god will bless your life for your diligence in reading his word he doesn't promise freedom from trials he does not guarantee that you're going to escape the troubles of this world but as you experience them as you go through those trials you will be rewarded with joy you will be rewarded with wisdom that comes from exposure to the very words of God. He will change you. He will mold you. He will make you wiser than your counselors. And so let us read His Word. Not to mention studying it, memorizing it, meditating and all these other things that we have the incredible privilege to do. But just read it. Read it expecting Him to teach you. It might be the cry of your heart every morning, every evening when you open that book. Teach me. Teach me. Teach me. Read it expecting Him to change your life. Read it half an hour a day. Read it all day long. Read the Bible in a year or in a month. Or seven months. Play it on your phone. I was going to say MP3s, but that's aging me, isn't it? Listen to it. Read it when you rise in the morning and when you lay down at night. Read it in English, French, Greek, Swahili if you can. But read it. Whatever you do, devote yourself to be a man or woman that would read these words. Several times in the book of Matthew, there's a phrase that Jesus spoke. He was dealing with the leaders of Israel. The people that had read God's Word. The people that had the education to open this book, to, to take the scrolls and, and to read through it in the original language. There were several times when they had these confrontations, and they were confronted by Jesus when they failed to obey or teach God's word correctly. And and he asked them this question on several occasions. Have you not read? Jesus was baffled that the leaders of Israel didn't know some of these things. And I think the wonder... I, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall just to hear Jesus say that. How, how did, was there complete bewilderment in His voice? Have you not read? This week, we're going to begin a new series of story. My prayer is at the end of these few months that you will have a greater passion for knowing and living out the Scripture. That you will have a greater understanding of the framework for how the Bible comes together as a whole. And that you will have experienced firsthand the blessings that we've considered this morning of being a person who takes seriously the call to read the Bible. And so this week, our small groups are going to be starting up. If you're not part of one of these, it'll be a great opportunity to grow together. Uh, this week, we're also going to start a new Bible reading program. There's, again, there's two different tracks that you can take. If, if, you have a hard, if you're dyslexic, have a hard time reading, whatever, there's, there's a shorter reading path for you. If you want to challenge yourself and say, I'm going I'm to go all, seven months, I'm going to read the whole Bible. Or, or again, maybe you're doing another Bible reading program. But whatever you're doing, however you do it, read, read God's Word. Uh, we've made some bookmarks with the schedule for the first few weeks. On the back of your sermon notes, as I mentioned, there's a weekly schedule. So if you want it broken up into smaller portions for each day, it's there for you. But I I also want to encourage you to memorize. Uh, We're going to have six verses over seven months. Is that doable? All right, Just six verses. To hide God's Word in our heart so that as you're walking down the road, as you're going to bed, as you're getting up, as you're teaching these things to your children, you'll have God's Word that you're learning and you're hiding in your heart. And so I'd I'd encourage you also, read and memorize those six Bible verses that we're going to do together. But don't forget that we have some invitation cards also that you can share with your friends and neighbors. It's a great opportunity for them to join us while we're considering some of the basics of what the Bible is all about. In closing, my friends, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that reading the Bible is vital for our lives. A lot of you are already thinking about fellowship in the back, What's what's on the table today? Did Brian bring an egg casserole? Did you? (sighs) (laughs) We're already thinking about eating lunch. Where are we going to go for for, do for dinner tonight? You're already thinking about breakfast tomorrow. Some of you. Why? You can get by, right? We don't do that to our bodies. We need food. We need sustenance. We like to eat. It's fun to eat. But how easily we skip a meal of God's Word. Our soul longs for God's Word, our soul needs to feed on the nourishment that God has given to us. And sometimes we skip it for weeks or months at a time. My friends, it was important for the king. Jesus demonstrated the necessity of reading God's word, and by all means it is an absolute imperative for our lives as well. We need to be people that are committed to reading this book all the days of our life. And let us not be caught off guard before our Lord and may our may his response never be to us. Have you not read? Father Thank You for this book. Thank You for the instructions that You've given to us in it. We thank You for how profitable it is. We thank You that it teaches us. That it reproves us. That it corrects us. And that it trains us in righteousness. Father, we thank You that You gave instruction to the King. We thank You that we have the same privileges that He had today. That He had then. We thank you that we have this book. I, I pray that you would challenge us ways that we can be reading your word, living out your word, studying your word, memorizing, meditating on it. Might it be our meditation day and night? And might with the psalmist we declare, "O oh Lord, how I love your law." Amen. Please stand.